Good to have you here. What a great-looking Saskatchewan day. Remember the times of year. You remember as a kid, the local small-town Remembrance Day commemorative service. You'd march in a parade down to the Cenotaph. The local Mountie would be in his red surge and his boots would be slipping on the ice. And we'd all be windmilling and it would be snowy and cold. Well, we got through Remembrance Day without any of that happening. And this entire week is looking very nice indeed around the province. So glad you're here. Um, I want to give a shout out to a group of university law students and a number of people in the legal community who I think are doing the right thing. It is easy, and I take a strong, sorry, it's not a strong position, it's a position. I take a position on what has transpired in Israel. I am not a supporter of Hamas, Hezbollah, the various terrorist-slash-Palestinian organizations, all of which are pledged to the destruction of Israel and the removal of the occupants, and yes, Call the anti-Semitism what it is, the killing of Jews. That's a white, bright line I drew in the sand when I was a teenager, for goodness sakes. That's my view. Many in the, quote, Palestinian community call for nuance, and they call for interpretation. And, John, you're being so binary and so black and white and so focused. Yes, I am. I don't apologize for that. We can have good debates. We can go back and forth. But there's a point at which you cross certain lines, and I'm going to call you out. It's just the way it is. Well, the debate in Canada has become very much polarized. We're hearing, uh, and in fairness to the uh, Muslim communities and the supporters of Palestine, while there have been atrocious acts of singling out Jewish-owned restaurants, uh, shooting outside that elementary school in Montreal twice in four days. There's been anti-Semitism I didn't think I'd see in my life as a Canadian. Members of the Islamic community have also been pushed around. People have spat on people who are visibly uh, adherents to Islam, uh, loyal Muslims, because that's their reflexive response to the anti-Semitism they see. So sides have dug in pretty deeply. That being said... Here are two approaches, and I'm going to save the best for last. It is the Ottawa U Muslim and Jewish Law Students Mutual Support Letter. And it's got a lot of members of the legal fraternity talking in the best possible way. But before we get to that, there's another letter out and about. 700 uh, lawyers, law students, law profs, academics of various universities saying it's important to put the October 7th Hamas massacres into, quote, their proper context. We reject the notion that it is anti-Semitic, hateful, or illegitimate to contextualize the October 7th attack. And they go on to whine that there's a new McCarthyism that's attacking them, uh, the calls to decertify the York Federation of Students, after they celebrated the massacres as justified and necessary. The 700 signatories of this letter, points out Tristan Hopper in the Post, are not mere student activists. 
It is a cross-section of influential professors and authors who have been championed by their universities, quoted as experts in the media, and often guide public policy. So he said, let's look at some of the people behind this. Harsha Walia. She used to be the executive director of the BC Civil Liberties Association, but resigned after she endorsed the fires being set in churches in the summer of 2021 in response to the Kamloops Residential School. Burn them all down, she wrote on social media. Then, two days after the atrocities in Israel, she was at a rally for Palestinians in Vancouver, quote, How beautiful is the spirit to get free that Palestinians literally learn to fly on hang gliders. Of course, she was referring to the hang gliders the Hamas gunmen used to land near that music festival and then butcher, slaughter, and rape young people there. How beautiful is the spirit Palestinians literally learn to fly hang gliders. Harsha Walia is not somebody I'd want representing my point of view. Then there's Alan Sears, sociology prof, self-described new socialist at formerly Ryerson, now Toronto Metropolitan, vocal about his thoughts on Israel. He's a champion of uh, the Met's Israeli apartheid week and prior Israeli actions against Hamas. He is called massacres. And then there's Heidi Matthews, law prof at Osgood in Toronto, The day after the massacres, she wrote online, there's a lot of obfuscation going on about what the right of resistance looks like in brutally asymmetric contexts. Really? So she's explained why uh, in many times simply, uh, it's just, read some Heidi Matthews. Uh, There's Dimitri Lascaris. If that name rings a bell, do you remember? He was running for the Green Party of Canada leadership and came pretty close. He was the Greens justice critic, led motions calling on the total boycott of Israel. He's a member of BDS, boycott, divest, sanctions. Uh, He also espoused the Russian case for why they invaded Ukraine. Elizabeth May and the Green Party have distanced themselves from Dmitry Lascaris. Oh, there's Alex Neve. Do you remember him? Formerly of Amnesty International. He's a mentor with the Pierre Elliott Trudeau Foundation. Frequent media commentator. He was calling on human rights to prevail in the current conflict. Meaning Israel should stop attacking Hamas. Uh, there's the Pivot Legal Society. And this is the Vancouver Downtown East Side group. The... Uh, leading the charge on tent cities to uh, opposing involuntary treatment mandates, the whole, I mean, the Lower East Side of Vancouver, that's the Pivot Legal Society. So there's a long list of people that Tristan Hopper names as part of being these 700 academics, law students, lawyers, and other professors saying, you need to understand the context of the Hamas attack on Israel. I'm sorry, we don't need to understand the context. It was a genocidal act designed to kill as many people as possible. Now, so that's one letter. Ignore it. It's just, again, the usual left-wing crazies being left-wing crazies. 
So this is the more interesting one. And Sean Fine wrote a beautiful piece in the Globe and Mail on this. He's the justice affairs reporter we've chatted with many times in the past. And he talks about a group of law students, the Muslim Law Students Association, the Jewish Law Students Association at Ottawa U. They got together, urged on by one of the law students named Harjun Gupta, who's a Hindu, raised both in India and Canada, and Harjun brought the leaders of the Muslim law students, the Jewish law students, together, and they talked. Each of the executives of the Muslim law students and the Jewish law students had lost a member of their family or their close friends in either the attack on the fourth, on the 7th of October or in Gaza in some of the Israeli bombing. So they penned a letter aiming for an even-handed tone that doesn't even mention Israel, Gaza, or Hamas. Uh, lawyer Mark Sandler in Toronto, Jewish guy, he picked this up, posted it on uh, change.org, and then he's had all sorts of prominent Canadians in the legal community signing on. Uh, one of the people responsible for this letter, the president of the Jewish Law Students Association, uh, Shana Horvath, uh, she had a friend, Ben Marachi of Vancouver, who was murdered actually at that outdoor festival. And she cited the tension, what she keeps hearing about Muslims being called terrorists, uh, lectures uh, who went way beyond uh, what she regarded as appropriate. But her main concern was the number of people, both Muslim and Jewish, who have very strong feelings on this that don't include hating one another. So here is the letter the students at Ottawa U penned. Joint letter from the Muslim Law Students Association, the Jewish Law Students Association, and the convener, Harjun Gupta, the Hindu guy, back and forth in uh, India and Canada. Quote, We recognize that Jewish and Muslim lives are equally valuable and important, and that every loss of life is tragic and represents a story and a family and a whole circle of people who are grieving. Both our communities are grieving right now, and we're coming together to say we want to focus on what unites us. We also extend our thoughts to Christians, Druze, and other minorities in the region who are suffering and grieving. We all recognize that rising tensions and divisions are driving fear and anxiety. We're also aware there are members of our communities that have family and loved ones that are being directly impacted by this war. With racism, anti-Semitism, and Islamophobia rising, we simply will not be bystanders in the face of hate. We urge all professors, lecturers, and students to understand the present context. When exercising your freedom of expression and making your points, this is an exceptionally raw and difficult time. Members of our law school community have lost loved ones in this conflict. We call on you to show a commensurate level of sensitivity and tact. As leaders of our respective communities, we call upon our Ottawa University family to focus on how shared pain unifies us instead of letting hatred divide us. We ask that you listen to each other with empathy, dignity, and respect. 
We are conscious the situation remains to be extremely critical, and this is a troubling time causing a lot of anguish for both the Jewish and Muslim communities. We recognize that other communities are affected as well. They don't mention Israel, Hamas, Gaza. And of course, these students each have respectively strong positions, as I told you I do. But I thought it was a beautiful reach out to say, freedom of speech is important, but use tact, use diplomacy. Don't go to places that provoke and hurt. I think you can do it. I'm John Gormley. This is 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. I'm John Gormley. Good to have you here. Okay, so I was going over uh, the usual, you know, ugly left-wing, let's contextualize October the 7th, uh, that a number of Canadian academics have signed. It's absolute dreck. Uh, And then, in contrast, I showed you what I thought was a very touching, balanced piece from the Jewish law students and Muslim law students at Ottawa U, where they pull together their academic community. So... I'm a public figure. I'm an unabashed uh, friend, supporter of Israel, and Zionist. So uh, you, you know my opinions. And, of course, on social media, I'll post my opinions. I couldn't imagine if I were going about my life as just a guy, as I soon will be when I retire next week, practicing some law, living my life, uh, like you, an insurance agent, a farmer, uh, a woman who is ferrying kids, uh, you're in your own business, you're running your own business. Do you feel obligated on social media to make a post on this? Have we got the, the level now on social media participation you are, quote, expected to weigh in on tragedies like the Israel-Hamas war? Interesting piece written recently by Rachel Greenspan, who not only is a Jewish woman in New York, is a media, social media strategist and writer, and she penned a very interesting piece recently. We find her in New York today. Uh, Rachel, thanks so much for taking our call. Good to have you here. Hey, John. Thanks so much. Glad to be here. And congrats on the uh, upcoming retirement. That's so exciting. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so not ready. No, I am. <laughs> um, help me out on the average person in their life. You know, a writer like you, a person in their own family dynamic. Is there a sense in the modern social media world that we are expected to say something and if we don't we're accused of of certain things i I would absolutely say that there is a kind of pressure right now that people feel um in any kind of moment of political turmoil socioeconomic um crises globally um and both in north america and globally as we've seen right now with this conflict um in israel and in palestine people definitely feel um, a pressure, whether that pressure is, you know, r- real in terms of um, the expectation, I think is still something that, uh, that I'd love to to explore further. But I think there is definitely still this pressure of um, I feel emotionally impacted um, by the idea that I should be speaking on this matter. And I'm using I in kind of the global way, I should say. I don't mean yeah. necessarily... Me, Rachel Greenspan, as, uh, you know, being a social strategist, being a writer who focuses on social media um, and how people use it both for good, neutral, bad, ugly. Um, you know, so I'm looking at this from kind of a different lens, but 
all of my friends and family members have definitely expressed to me this um, kind of anxiety almost about, A, what should I say? B, how do I make sure I'm saying it right? And and C, what are people going to think when I say this? Or what are people going to think when I'm silent on this? And I think it's interesting because, John, as you noted, you know, someone like you, uh, very clearly a public figure whose opinions are part of your public persona, right, um, makes more sense that you might be really comfortable, um, if not expected, to share these opinions online. But like you noted, you know, for the, for the rest of, of the world uh, where we don't have, you know, communications departments or publicists or, you know, what have you, it's, it's kind of um, what do we do with this pressure? What do we do with this expectation? How do we react to it? So I think that's been really interesting. Now it's been, you know, many weeks since the October 7th attack. So it's, this has been going on for now over a month um, that people are are kind of thinking about this um, in terms of it, their yeah. own public stance and how they should come forward on social media uh, as the war continues. Rachel Greenspan, is there advice, though, for the average person who is concerned, obviously, about their friends, what their friends' experiences are, even their business connections? Is it okay to simply just be silent in your own thoughts? My perspective is that it's always okay to not say something when when you're not positive about what you're going to say. I think um, I think we all would agree with that for our own personal general day-to-day lives, right? If, if, you're, if you're not sure whether you should speak on something um, and you're not sure if you know enough that what you're going to say is going to be an opinion that, that you are going to agree with yourself about in, you know, 20 minutes, two hours, two days, two weeks, I think that's really the key. It's where when there is this moment of um, pause, you know, so, so it's not, not to say, you know, I would ever urge anyone to stay quiet when they don't want to. And not that I would ever say that um, silence is, you know, preferred to support in uh, when communities need support. I think it's just a matter of for these people who are feeling, oh, yikes, um, not sure what to say, don't want, you know, uh, my cousin who posted this to feel mad if I post this. And I don't want to have this conversation with my colleague who follows me here. I think when you're having those kinds of questions, I would say, um, you should feel comfortable at this point. Do not post the thing on social media. And and I think we forget that social media, while it's very personal, um, it is it is broadcasting. It is kind of your own broadcast network. And so with that comes a huge power, right? Like we all have a voice in a way that we didn't used to. And so that's, that's often used for good. And it's really helped grassroots activism, um, especially like Black Lives Matter in the United States, um, attitudes towards policing and police brutality and racism, systemic racism in the United States has definitely been positively impacted uh, by social media from, you know, regular folks, not necessarily from the public figures, from the celebrities, the influencers, what have you. Um, So it's not to say that that's not powerful. I think it's just a matter of now that we understand that power as a society and we're seeing how it's evolving these conversations and not forgetting social media is such a new innovation in how we talk on in, in our culture and in our community in our world um perhaps that there are more opportunities than we realize where where we are able to just stay quiet for a moment um and not feel kind of that knee jerk um oh gosh i better say something rachel great talking with you today thanks so much for this and keep up the good work 
Thanks so much. Have a great one. Rachel Greenspan, New York. This is 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. Uh, so we were just chatting with uh, Rachel Greenspan, writer, social media strategist, uh, who makes some interesting points that and she's sort of arguing both sides of this. But it comes down to your social media posts. And, and there's two things. Are you a public figure? Are you uh, a local actor, actress? politician. Politicians have a really tough one because poor old Olivia Chow, the left-wing NDP mayor of Toronto, do you remember the night of November the 7th? You know, it's with heavy heart. She goes on and she just sort of speaks generically about how we're just feeling so bad about all of this. And then she never refers actually to Hamas, A, as terrorists, or Hamas, B, attacking Israel. And then a wall of pushback, and then she tries it again, falls short. Third time, falls short, and then finally does this sort of Trudeau-esque bit of this, bit of that. And it was just so awkward and uncomfortable. And Olivia comes from the Palestinian, you know, struggle crowd, which I think has undercut its entire credibility in this whole thing. So you're a public figure, you know, you're a local politician, uh, you're somebody well-known. People in the community say, gee, I wonder what you would think of this. Well, there might be an inclination to put something on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, not Twitter, <laughs> that usually gets a reflexive pushback somewhere from someone. Um, but you see where I'm going. So in your average everyday life, you know, you're going about your business, you're going about your family, you're going about the things you do. Are you expected to weigh in with posts on the Israel-Hamas war? Uh, Rachel said at the end of it all, you would be understood and forgiven for not doing this. I mean, Twitter gets so bad. Um, Lisa Ann Walter, an actress, you know, talked about her own feelings and her support for Israel and, the, you know, the, the harm and what had gone on. She got absolutely slammed because you're hurting young people who look up to you because you're being silent on Palestine and historically uh, you're deaf to this. And so all of a sudden she's got you know, team Palestine and team Hamas all over her. So I really just think that on a lot of this social media thing, unless you really have to, and if you have to, What's the most important first step of social media? Take the time to get it right. Don't post when your feelings are invested. Don't post when your heart's broken or you're angry. Just take the time, formulate something, talk to some people you respect, get some input, and then post. If you must. I am increasingly of the view that in one's private life, 
uh, even though Lisa talked, uh, Rachel talked about, you know, the power of individual people and the whole Black Lives Matter thing. Well, BLM turned out to be, as the two organizers always said, we are Marxist community organizers. They never ran away from their politics. And now you're so surprised that BLM has got all these allegations about uh, the way they're spending money, what their connections are to certain things. But I think the visceral anger and outrage over the George Floyd killing in Minneapolis was warranted. And a lot of people did speak out. And I think that did show the power of social media. But gosh, I would in my if I were just a private citizen and not hosting a talk show like this, I think I would stay pretty well on the down low on a lot of my points of view of things like this. Uh, John Iveson uh, makes a very good point, and I alluded to this earlier in today's post. Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie uh, spoke to the UN earlier about pragmatic diplomacy. And uh, again, this is where you get the situation. Um, and this was in the UN a vote that criticized the Israeli settlements in the West Bank as obstacles to peace, uh, while at the same time supporting Israel's right to exist. So Canada has found itself, um, we voted with Israel against this UN motion condemning the Israeli settlements in the West Bank as inflaming things. And Iveson goes into a conversation where Stephen Harper's position, and it had begun with the Paul Martin government, was Canada often votes against the resolutions every year in the UN, and there's been 16 of them annually that focus on Israel. And the point was, there are too many resolutions at the UN General Assembly every year that unfairly single out Israel. And that's a good position to take. Paul Martin was right when he did that. So was Stephen Harper. But Iveson argues that Canada has some alignment to do with the rest of the world on this. And he said, what is so interesting now, and Iveson comes out and says, then and now, I am steadfast on Israel's right to defend itself. Few things in life are black and white. There is no room for nuance when condemning Hamas's attack on October 7th. The slaughter of innocents was as heinous an atrocity as any in human history. Hamas supports genocide, even if it doesn't have the capacity to make it so. One of its political officials, Ghazi Hamad, admitted on Lebanese TV October 24th, the occupation of Palestinian lands must end, which does mean the annihilation of Israel. So he explained... Uh, Iveson goes on to say a ceasefire is a delusion. Hamas can only be stopped by military action. And you can't use a diplomatic solution when you're dealing with people determined on race extermination. And I agree with him entirely. But he says the West Bank, and this is where Canada got into this whole issue in the UN. You see, you know how Israel's configured. Over here, you've got the West Bank. Over here, you've got Gaza, and you've got these two little pockets with Israel in between. And he says, on the West Bank, if you believe in a two-state solution, you have to come out and make certain positions. And one of them is the number of the so-called Israeli settlements, 
that are built on the West Bank. And that's often seen as very provocative. So Iveson goes down the road, and it's it's an interesting one. And I, weirdly, if it were any other time, it would be a good debate. But Iveson quite bravely uh, says that if you're looking at a two-state solution, there are many things that Canada, and if you really want pragmatic diplomacy, there's nothing wrong with censuring or criticizing the illegal settlements in the West Bank that the present Israeli government has been very supportive of. And many Jews here, I mean, you talk about uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, not a popular man. Many Israelis are strongly critical of what he's been doing. But Israel finds itself now at this turning point in history, and people aren't going to bail on Netanyahu. He has a wartime cabinet. Uh, Many in his wartime cabinet are foes of his. So this is Israel as it always does pulling together. But there's a lot of good debates ahead on if you believe in a two-state solution. I've always thought a two-state solution is possible. I've been shaken a fair bit in that after October the 7th. I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but far smarter people than me will look at it. So uh, John Iveson's column, Ottawa's new pragmatic diplomacy policy misfires at the UN. So I contrasted those two letters. Uh, The one signed by the 700 uh, academics, law professors, others, saying... You shouldn't be criticized for supporting Palestine and for giving context to the October 7th Hamas killings. I find that repugnant. Then I showed you the letter jointly written by the law students at Ottawa U from the Muslim Law Students Association, the Jewish Law Students Association, where they came together to find some common ground in our humanity. And I thought that was a really good piece. Who has a thought on this? Kevin and Regina. Next on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. still early, no details revealed, but uh, the BBC, The Guardian, a number of other British papers reporting uh, the death of Adam Johnson, the hockey player formerly with the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, playing with the Nottingham Panthers back at the end of October and that uh, slashing with a skate blade and the tragic death of Adam. A uh, He's 29. Police have apparently arrested a man Uh, on suspicion of manslaughter related to the injury and death on the ice in Sheffield uh, end of October. So more details will be coming out. And I think for many of you, and I didn't watch the video, certain things I just don't want to watch because you can't unwatch them. Um, On the hockey hit, there's sort of a way the guy throws his leg that you're almost thinking, you know, there was a bit of a kick. And and if that was the case, uh, there was some intent to hit somebody, even though you didn't intend for them to die, but if you were reckless as to the consequences, uh, that will ground a, a criminal charge. So we'll see what happens on that case. So in Israel, 
Uh, we are now into the second month after the October 7th uh, terrorist Hamas attack and the declaration of war. Kevin, thank you for joining us. How hard is it to comment and stay within the lines that you're not promoting hatred? Well, extremely hard because it's it's abused to to prevent conversation uh, and mostly one-sided, mostly controlled by the mainstream media, including yourself. Nobody is cheering on Hamas or or or, or uh, uh, justifying uh, 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 October the seventh. At least not in my part here, anyways. Okay. No, you're, you're you're not. But some are calling it. This is what resistance looks like. Well, that was you know, some post. of that could be, you know, I, I've been around for a long time. Some of that could be deep fake stuff, too, John. It's just the reality of it. And that's exactly where, you know, I, I, I about the October 7th thing, there is context that should be looked at and addressed there. And, in fact, you yourself refuse to do that. That's that line you talk about. If you cross that, I'll call you out. What the problem is, what you really want to do is make sure the narrative isn't the mainstream, the main narrative isn't and actually challenged in reality. You know, the problem here, John, is, and here's the most important part about all of this, and again, nobody nobody is, is cheering on or justifying October the 7th, uh, let alone there are questions to be asked, and, and many of them, uh, four out of five uh, Israeli citizens want them questions answered. Okay, but here's, here's what's going on. And, 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 and just before I get to that, he who passively accepts it evil is as much involved in it is he who helps to perpetrate it. He who accepts evil without protesting against it is really cooperating with it. You know, John, the Israeli government and their military representatives and their leadership have, have been explicit with their intent here. Uh, uh, there's no question about it. They have it. been absolutely unequivocally. Yes. Hamas must be destroyed. Every Hamas member will die. Yeah, it's called, it's called, it's a white paper. You read it. It's called justified vengeance. Okay? It, now, it is you, justified. It is, it is vengeance. Now, whether it's justified or not becomes the other question. Okay, don't, don't run away. You said you wanted to be here. Okay, so here, here's, here's the problem. And this is what's going on right before our very eyes and, and and you refuse to talk about it you refuse to call it out is the fact that you know we keep saying that Hamas wants to commit genocide uh, on, on Israelis in the meantime we're actually watching genocide being committed on the Palestinians and we don't call it out. And, and we allow this so-called justified vengeance. We talk about using uh, human shields. The, the idea we're using Hamas or, 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 or Hamas is being used as, as a shield to justify killing innocent people. And thousands of them, tens of thousands of them, we're witnessing right before our eyes. And nobody in the media is calling it out, including you, John. And this is horrible. You know... Dehumanizing them, calling them animals. Have you listened to what the what the Israeli leadership has used? The words they used. What about Netanyahu? Uh, Netanyahu, where's my Netanyahu baby here? Netanyahu, Amalekites, whose eradication was commanded by God. Isn't it time maybe we start holding what's really going on accountable here, John? Interesting, Kevin. You and I, uh, uh, you obviously decry and your heart breaks as all our hearts break about innocents 
who are killed in the crossfire and the war. Yes. The problem is Hamas crossed a bridge. It is never going to be allowed to cross again. 22 different spots in Israel, 1,400 people slaughtered, and we don't have to repeat some of the atrocities. Hamas and its leaders, by the way, who are all safely tucked away in Qatar and in Lebanon, none of them are anywhere near the hotspots. They will be found and they will be destroyed as well. The destruction of Hamas must happen and it must be thorough. Now, how do we address the other casualties? That's the challenge the world faces. I'm John Gormley. This is 650 CKOM and 980 CJME.